Good evening, church. Um, so the Bible reading tonight comes from Galatians 6, 11 to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that, so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Welcome to you guys here in the building. Thank you for coming and to the guys who are at home tuning in as well. We come tonight to the end of the series. We've spent the last 12 weeks on the book of Galatians and we're into the final paragraph. Um, I've entitled this tonight, Outward, Inward, Upward, Downward. It's the Apostle Paul has uh, come to the end of the letter and looks like he's running out of space and so he gives this succinct, sharp, punchy summary. These are the really important things he needed to get out and he's obviously run out of room to do so. We're going to pray and then we will work together on concluding this letter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus and the salvation we have in him. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in us and may your spirit now and work in us through this passage, through your word, so that we can um, be transformed and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. We ask in his name and for his glory. And everyone said? Apostle Paul says, verse 11, See with what large letters I write uh, with my own hand. <clears throat> See what large letters I write. Um, this is interesting, but it's not overly productive for us, but I'm going to take a few minutes just to flesh that out a little bit because it, it links in with a few other New Testament, uh, perhaps insights or helps tie some things together. It was very common in the ancient world that people would not write with, by letters by themselves. It was far more common for people to dictate the letter, that they would have a secretary or a stenographer, if you like. Uh, in Romans chapter 16, verse 22, there's even the guy who was the person writing the letter, as Paul dictated it, his name was Tertius. And in those days, he was called an amanuensis. That's an interesting word for you, isn't it? Uh, he was the guy who wrote things down. <clears throat> um, it was also a custom in the ancient world that uh, you would, having dictated your letter or however, you would then, at the end of it, take pen in hand yourself and you would sign it. Or you would write a note or a blessing or some personal thing like that. And that's certainly what the Apostle Paul does here. He's come to the end of the letter. He takes pen in hand and he says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. One of the reasons the Apostle Paul did this um, <clears throat> was to validate the authenticity that it's a real letter. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, it even... I'll read it to you. 
concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy, word of mouth, or by letter, asserting the day of the Lord has come. People had been using Paul's name and disseminating truth, but it wasn't from Paul. So he took that practice then of signing his own name with a personal greeting, and he most commonly concluded his letters with a phrase, something like, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's the most common way that he ends the letter. And that's how he ends 2 Thessalonians 3:17. the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So he takes pen in hand. What does it mean when he says, see with what large letters I write to you? Variously understood. Some commentators and preachers think what Paul is saying, that he has written this whole letter of Galatians. There hasn't been a secretary of stenographer. He wrote it himself. And that it's a large letter. It's a long letter. But if you look at the book of Galatians, it's not as long as Romans. It's not as long as Corinthians. And so I don't think large is referring to the length, the number of words that he uses. I think it's referring to, my opinion, to the size of the letters that he's writing with. See with what large letters I write to you. Why? Why does he say that? Well, again, various interpretations. Was it because he had very bad eyesight? That would certainly link up with some other truths in the New Testament or uh, passages. In Galatians, he even talks about how uh, you Galatians, when he was there in the flesh preaching to them, you would have donated your eyes to me. There was something wrong with his eyes. Some people surmise it's because he had that blinding experience in Acts 9 where he saw the the glory of the Lord Jesus and it partially blinded him and same passage goes on to talk about how Ananias prayed for him later and scales fell from his eyes. There could have been some ongoing partial blindness is what many want to attribute to it and so therefore if you suffer with poor eyesight like I do with increasing years then you need glasses to read and if you don't have glasses to read then you need large print see with what large letters I write to you because of his eyesight there are some other interesting little titbits Acts 23 he talks he doesn't recognize who the high priest is maybe that was his eyesight or there is this unanswerable issue that we everybody when they read through the New Testament asks that Paul talks about this messenger of Satan to buffet him this thorn in the flesh what was the thorn in the flesh that he had Well, you link all of this up and people will say his thorn in the flesh was that partial blindness, that he had some scarring on his eyes and that it led to... You know how you see in some movies when you have a blind person that's white, they've got white eyes? There's a covering over it. It was something like that that he was um, humbled by, to which God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, it could have been that. It could be that... um, He was treating them like children, that they had regressed. And so he's writing with very large letters to, this is what I think it is, to emphasize these points. You ever send a text to somebody or an email to somebody and use all caps? What are you doing? Apparently you're shouting. I normally write in uppercase. Most of my notes, many of my notes are in uppercase. I'm quite comfortable in, in writing that way. And when I first sent some, somebody one of those texts, in my ignorance, they sent back to me, why are you shouting? I'm not shouting. So I have learnt 
Maybe it's that. I think it's more, most likely that. Paul is wanting to emphasize these points. He's running out of parchment to finish this letter off, and he's got some things that he wants to get across, and so it's like a summary. It's an emphatic statement of what's really important. Well, let's jump in and see what he says then. Verse 12. Um, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason, and he gives three, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Those people who had followed up the Apostle Paul, he had come to the area of Galatia, he had preached the gospel, people had been converted, the church has been established, and then some other people, perhaps from Jerusalem, we don't know where from, maybe Antioch, they had followed the Apostle Paul and they believed that accepting and acknowledging Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, that he died for our sins and we accept and receive him, that that was very important to do. For Jewish people because Jewish people have already been circumcised and had been engrafted into the people of God and so then they had to repent and believe and accept Jesus what about Gentiles if they came to accept and receive Jesus confessing him to be Lord and Messiah but were Gentiles that they were not circumcised well these people genuinely believed they weren't saved you had to believe in Christ everybody has to believe in Christ And all the men, particularly, have to be circumcised. Acts 15, verse 2, if you are not circumcised, you are not saved. That's what they believed. And so they believed they were doing God's work, and so they came along and they were applying this emphasis to these brand-new believers in Galatia. And for some of them, they had been influenced by it. And Paul is absolutely horrified, which is why he has written a letter, as we've been saying, over the last few weeks well Paul at the end is not pulling any punches and he wants to get to the point and he says the reason they're trying to impress you to be circumcised by means of the flesh are trying um, the only reason they're doing that is to avoid being persecuted they have a different and another motivation they want the applause of people they want to be accepted um, and another motivation they have, if I can talk properly, is, um, next verse maybe, not even those who are circumcised, these guys who are teaching that, keep the law. They're hypocritical. They want you to keep the law, this part of the law, but they don't even do that. They've been circumcised, but the rest of the law they ignore. They just take bits and pieces of it to please themselves. And Paul is calling them out on He's saying they're actually hypocritical. Um, They don't keep the law themselves, but they want you to start obeying the law. And as you read through Galatians, back in chapter 3 particularly, you'll see that if you're circumcised and you're relying on circumcision to make you right with God, then you've got to obey the whole law. You can't obey one bit of it, you obey all of it, or you can't be saved that way. That's exactly what the Bible teaches, you can't be saved that way, for nobody can keep the whole law, you need Jesus. Um, So they want you to be circumcised, another reason is, so that they can boast about you. They want to be able to brag about the numbers, the number of people that they have led to faith in Christ, that they are the ones who got them to be circumcised. They, you know, ratcheting up brownie points or whatever. So they wanted to avoid persecution. They wanted to um, 
boast about their efforts back in Jerusalem or back in Antioch or back to whichever people had sent them and they were hypocritical in the process of doing that. They were people pleasers driven by that motivation. That's something very common still happening in our world today. We'll come back to that. Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast in anything except in Jesus. I'm not going to boast about my religiosity, I'm not going to boast about my morality, I'm not going to boast about the religious rituals that I have done all my life. I just want to boast about Jesus and what he did on the cross. Now we don't, this is not our world and it's not our experience, but in the ancient world particularly, the cross was a shameful thing. It was horrendous. It was unspeakably horrible, was offensive. Um, You never spoke about it with decent people. You avoided the mention. It was embarrassing. It's humiliating. It's uh, to first century years, the talk of the cross is like um, talking about criminality. You're talking about what would be the equivalent for us today if we're talking unashamedly about pedophilia or something equally horrible. That offence that we would have about that is the way that the first century people reacted to it and to which Paul is completely countercultural. I'm going to boast about the cross, that which is offensive to you and to society, I'm going to boast about it because I know what happened because of that in the plan of God. That God's Son came into the world to pay the penalty for our sins. So the cross was socially unac- uh, unacceptable. Um, It still is to a certain extent today, but we've softened it a little bit. One commentator said this, see what you think. He said um, that the cross today is not so much offensive because we wear it as jewellery and it's a symbol of Christianity more than it is an offensive item. We can talk about church. What did you do on the weekend? Went to church. Okay. Or you can talk about the minister, your pastor, and that's okay. This is what the commentator says. But if you mention the gospel, if you mention Jesus, talk about the Saviour, people are nowhere near as tolerant. Suddenly it's becoming more uncomfortable for them, they're more offended by it, they want to push away from it when you personalise it. I wonder what you think about that. Paul says, I want a glory in the cross of Christ. And by that cross, which is so offensive to everybody else, I rely on it, I embrace it, I celebrate it and I honour it. I completely rely on it and through it, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through the cross of Jesus, by me accepting him and acknowledging him as my Lord and Saviour, I have died to the way the world thinks and behaves and its values and its expectations. I'm no longer being religious. I'm now relying fully on following the Lord Jesus. And I learned this this week as well. I haven't followed it through to check it out thoroughly, which I should have done before tonight, but I didn't. The Greek word for cross is storio, which means I crucify, and the same word is used, there is another meaning, which will help us in what Paul is saying here. The other meaning that this, the way that this word is used is I build a fence. Now, if you think about it, you build a fence and you, put the, you build a cross the same way. 
you put a vertical stake in the ground and firm it in and you take another cross beam and you nail it to the cross, to the vertical bit. That's the same way as you build a fence, isn't it, Waza? Thank you. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ and the world is crucified to me, what he's saying is, there is a fence built between me and the world. I am fenced off. I am protected from and I am different to the world. That's what he means in this verse. The world has been crucified to me. A young girl came to Charles Haddon Spurgeon one day and she had just become a Christian and she said to him, I am concerned about my non-Christian friends and they're misbehaving, they do bad things and so how do I decide if I should give them up or not? To which Spurgeon said, don't worry about it. You didn't give them up, just continue to love them and pray for them because they'll give you up. And sure enough, that's exactly what she found and probably what you found as you follow the Lord Jesus as well. You'll be considered to be a fanatic if you take Christianity seriously. You'll become a social misfit. Your values will be different. Once you may have told jokes in the public environment, work colleagues, friends and neighbours and so on, and they may have been off colour, but now you'll find your values changing and you'll be increasingly uncomfortable and eventually you won't be able to do it as the Holy Spirit works in you. Same with laughing at bad jokes. That's still a process for most of us, some of that's funny. Our values change. What we considered once not to be very valuable or important suddenly becomes important. And as an example, uh, for me, when I became a follower of Jesus, after about one month, I suddenly had this desire that I needed to go to church. Nobody said it to me, just had this increasing desire. Um, and my mum surprisingly said that she was going to come with me. We went about two or three weeks and then she dropped out. Things you once enjoyed, you won't enjoy anymore, and things that you were not interested in at all, suddenly you'll become interested in as the Spirit works in you. You will change. Changed on the inside, which has an outward manifestation, but the important thing is being changed on the inside. See, the greatest danger in Christianity, I think, in the world, in our world, in our lives, is churchianity. That's people who think, just by attending church, I have fulfilled my spiritual obligations. Now, that's not what it's about. Church is about coming together and to fellowship with God's people, to learn from His Word, to be changed by his word so it's not did i go to church today well yes for you but what happened for me in church was i touched by god's spirit was i touched by one of the songs was i impacted am i being changed am i being transformed well that's certainly what the apostle paul is desiring for us for the galatians to do and what god wants us to do let's move on verse 15 Apostle Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. It's not important. What's important, what counts is the new creation. Being born again, becoming a Christian, that's what's the highlight. That's the most central and the most important thing. It's not important that you are Baptist, helps. It's not important. Galatians 2.16 says, we are justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Galatians 5.6 says, the only thing that counts is faith in Christ that manifests itself in love. And Galatians 6.15 says, the new creation is the only thing that counts. Not do you go to church, not have you been baptised, not 
this, not that, not do you behave that way or believe this about the sect, none of that. The only thing that is central and primary is the gospel, the cross of the Lord Jesus. Have you responded to him? Have you repented and believed and accepted him? Do you confess him as your Lord? Now you're walking in obedience with him. Is your life being impacted and changed by his grace in your life? Well, Paul goes on to say in the next verse, that's the only thing that's important. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. What rule? That rule of verse 15. Those who follow the gospel, those who make that central to their life, then you will receive peace and mercy. Peace with God and the peace of God, that you'll experience it. And the mercy of God, not based upon our efforts and our good works, but God's goodness and kindness to us in Christ. And then he says that, interesting phrase about to the Israel of God when you become a believer in Christ you join the people of God you become part of the family of God part of the Israel of God as I think Paul is using that phrase here in the ancient world the world was divided into two parts Jews and Gentiles a Roman emperor it was then who came along became a Christian and who invented this phrase of being a third people Jews, Gentiles and Christians. Jewish people and Gentile people who became followers of Jesus, whose hope was in the gospel with Christ at the centre of their life. You are part of the true Israel of God, the real believers, those who acknowledge Jesus to be their Messiah. Um, he goes on in verse 17 to say, from now on, let no one cause me any trouble. He's coming right to the end of the parchment. For I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. <clears throat> these Judaizers, these false teachers want to mark you, scar you. He said, well, I've been following Jesus and I have marks in my body from being flogged or being persecuted or being stoned or being whipped. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. That's the crucial bit. That's the essential marks of the Lord Jesus, not circumcision. And he concludes with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Grace. The marks of the Lord Jesus also refer to what we do to cattle and to slaves in the ancient world, that you would, your brand, you would brand them and that would mean that you own them. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He owns me. I belong to him. I am sold out to him. And grace, of course, the unmerited favour of God that you can't, earn you can't buy you can only ask for it and have open hands to receive it god's goodness and grace to us well what's our response to this last paragraph this last winding up part of this incredible letter of galatians well here's two questions you could ask there's a couple of these that i'll go through tonight you should always ask yourself when you hear a message or you read your bible for yourself what did god say to me and what did i say to god what did God say to you tonight? What have you seen? What have you learnt? Uh, did he prompt you at some point? Was he nudging you at some point? What did God say to you? And then in response, in a moment, what are you going to say to God? Or another thing to do, I remember Charlotte did this, I went looking for it because I bought some L's and P's, you know, learner's things and P plates for drivers. She said, there's something for us to learn, an L, and there's something for us to practice, the P. I thought it was brilliant. And I went and got some from the post office and I've been meaning to put them on the pulpit. I couldn't find them now. Anyway, what did you learn? What did you learn from this passage? 
It's always a good question to ask when you read God's Word, and I hate to read it every day. What did you learn? What did you learn about God? What did you learn about Jesus? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn? And on the basis of what you've learned, what are you going to do? What are you going to put into practice in your life? That's a great thing to do. And my suggestion is, write it down. God speaks to you, write it down. Date it, write it down. And, another, and then you can check yourself. I try to take one day a month where I have a spiritual retreat and I go back through my journal, the things that God has been saying to me through the month to say, am I doing it? God said that to me, he said that to me, he said it again to me. Is it in my life? Am I practicing? Am I being a doer of the word? Write it down. Another helpful thing to do is tell someone. Tell someone who's close to you, in connect group, accountability group, a good friend. Tell someone and then they will ask you the follow-up question of, did you do it? Are you doing it? And so on. So I hope that is helpful for you. I'm going to conclude by giving you some of what I think I have learnt from this tonight. Just like when you go outside and you have a barbecue and you have a light on, what happens then? Bugs come. So with the gospel of the Lord Jesus, when the truth is shown, bugs will come. False teachers will come. There'll be other people who'll come in who'll seek to distract and to undermine it and will want to add to it. Church is, is full of it. <clears throat> and it's happening still today. Um, I was at a funeral, a couple of funerals recently, and at a funeral I wear a tie and dress more formally than I do now. And one of the people, a member of the church came up to me and they made a comment and they said you should dress like that on Sunday. Hmm. And what they were saying was, it's really important that you wear a tie to church. And for our Chinese brothers and sisters, if you're a preacher, then you must wear a tie. It's almost culturally offensive for them not to. So that's been an education thing that has been going on for a long time. If you notice when Pastor Charlie goes down to speak to the Chinese people, he'll be dressed very nicely. Not in a... He's dressed nicely all the time most of the time, and <clears throat> but then he's dressed more like with a tie and so he's aware of the cultural expectations of what's going on, whereas I've been trying to counter that, of saying that's not the gospel, it's not essential and so you, the, your cultural expectation is actually contrary to the gospel. If it's absolutely essential then I'll put a tie on because I don't want to offend you but you've got to grow through that, you live in Australia and it's not our culture and blah blah blah. But people had all different sorts of things. Um, if some people from previous churches were, if they came in and saw that wonderful set of instruments over there, they would think we belonged in an, we should be in an RSL club and they would nearly call it blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've had a person in our church, in this church, say to me that I should shave my moustache off. Because people with facial hair are deceptive. I don't mean to offend anybody, but that's nonsense. Um, people add their own expectations, their own traditions, their own rules. And, you know, we could go on and go on and go on and go on. Well, I'd like to say this. If your religion doesn't change you, I don't like the word religion, but... If your religion, if you're a religious person, not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, and if your religion is not changing you, then it's time to change your religion. Because Christianity is all about life change, of becoming like Jesus, of being 
transformed into being a passionate follower of his. And it's not about the outward, it's about the inward. It's got to be real in here. And it's not about pleasing people, it's about pleasing God. It's the upward, not the downward emphasis. Um, the Apostle Paul concludes by saying, I no longer boast in my morality, but I boast in his sufficiency. My boast and reliance is on the Lord Jesus. And the songs we sang tonight said exactly that. They were terrific songs. Um, that'll do. What did God say to you? What are you going to say to God? On the basis of this passage of Scripture, what is God saying to you and what does He want you, what does he want to do, you to do in your life? Think about it. Respond to it. I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, again for your word. Help us never to take it for granted. And forgive us, Lord, when we go through the process, we go through the routine of reading it or of listening to it being taught, but we are, Lord, so, so easily distracted, so easily um, accepting of the fact that we have been obedient just in the process of listening when really much more is required. Forgive us for that and Lord, can you change us and motivate us and help us to be not just Bible believing but Bible practicing followers of the Lord Jesus. Lord, whatever you spoke to us tonight, remind us, help us to share it with others, to be held accountable to it and for you to be blessed by our obedience. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.